Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I'm excited to be diving back into our, our study in the book of Acts. We've been in this series for quite some time now, and um, we're in this study. And what is this study? It's the study of the history of the church. From the very beginning of the church in the book of Acts chapter 2, the inception of the church, the birthday of the church, to its goal that we're going to get to here shortly. And we're, we're actually approaching the end of the book. We're getting close to the end of the book. The end is nearing. But I want to encourage you, if you've missed any of those, these weeks that we've been in the study of the book of Acts, each week we've gone chapter by chapter and just breaking this entire book down. So if you've missed that, you can go online to our website and download those messages. You can grab a QR um, card in the, in the info center on your way out, or you can just take a picture of this graphic and download the messages. It'll come directly to your phone and go back and catch up and listen to this series. How many of you also appreciated those donuts this morning? Anybody eating donuts, kolaches? Some of y'all don't want to admit it. You're like, but thank you to the very generous man who, who decided to wanted to bless the church pre-fast with that. Thank you very much. So we, we left off in the book of Acts in chapter 19, and we're talking about that we've come to the point where the Apostle Paul is now on his third missionary journey. This is his third time leaving his home base, his home church in Antioch, and he's traveling around the Gentile world, and he's preaching the gospel to Jews and to Gentiles, but he's been primarily called to preach the gospel to Gentiles. Again, what is a Gentile? A Gentile is anybody who is not a Jewish person. If you are not a Jew, you are considered a Gentile. And so Paul got a call from God to go and to preach the gospel to these Gentiles. So he's been going and preaching the gospel and making disciples, and he just left a place called Corinth. Everybody say Corinth. Now, Corinth is where he wrote, or the people, excuse me, that he wrote the books of First and Second Corinthians to. So he wrote these, these books to the people of Corinth where he planted the church, preached the gospel, raised up disciples, and now he's found himself in a place called Ephesus. Say that with me, say Ephesus. He's in this place called Ephesus, and as we talked about the last time we were, we were in the book of Acts pre-Christmas, he went to the synagogue which was his custom. And he would preach the gospel in the synagogue first to the Jews and to the, the God-fearing Gentiles who came to the synagogue, which was like the Jewish church, if you will. And so he's there, he's preaching, and surprisingly, they let him preach the gospel there for a long time. Most places when Paul would go, he would go to these synagogues and they would get, so, the Jews would get so mad at him, they would kick him out, they would start riots, they'd do all kinds of stuff, but surprisingly, they let Paul stay and preach for a while and lots of people started getting born again until eventually some of the Jewish people said, we're done with this, and they kicked him out. And he started his own church in a school, which is, if you're a good church planner, that's where you start a church, in a school. And so that's where our Lafayette campus was started, in a school at Westminster. And so he, he's there and he's preaching and he stays there for over three years preaching the gospel. And this is what the Bible says 
this Paul's ministry was like in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19, verse 11, it says, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. God was doing unusual supernatural miracles through Paul. Now we see this all throughout Acts, but in Ephesus, it's almost like there's an intention that's put on this because God was just using Paul to do miracles that didn't even make sense. And a handkerchief that he had or touched would be given to a sick person and they would be healed. Or given to someone who was filled with a devil and the devil would leave them. It's just powerful things that God was using Paul to do. And I want you to see something. God used him to do supernatural things. And it was miracles that to us, if we're being honest, that doesn't make sense. Now, if I was selling handkerchiefs that I touched, don't buy it. <laughs> don't buy it. I mean, and you see preachers on TV who do stuff like for for four easy payments of $999, you can have a piece of my tie. Don't. <laughs> but yet God was doing these supernatural, miraculous things that to us really don't make sense. I want to let you in on a secret. God will not always make sense. God does not have to do miracles that you are comfortable with. That is not God's primary goal, that you would understand everything that he's trying to do. And I think that's where we get ourselves in trouble. I got to figure God out. Let me help you. You will never figure God out. You will be in heaven one day still learning things about God that you never knew. Because he's an infinite being. He's not finite. He's not like us. He's not, he's, just not, he's not in the rules of the universe. He governs the rules of the universe. And we see God doing these supernatural things through Paul, where the sick are being healed. Demons are coming out just by the handkerchiefs and the sweat rags that touch Paul's body. Paul had something real. What he had was real. It was genuine. And it was an authority given to him by Jesus, by God. He was operating in power from Jesus' name. And so we see that he had something real. But then the, this text, the Bible, instantly contrasts that with something that wasn't real. So you have Paul, sweat rag touches him, demon gets cast out because it touched Paul's body. Now we see this in Acts chapter 19, verse 13, something that wasn't genuine. A group of Jews were, were traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. Now, Sceva was not a like Jewish high priest. He was not a high priest in Jerusalem. He was a leading priest. And some scholars believe he wasn't even really a leading priest, that this was kind of, a, he was a self-made priest kind of person where he put forth this image that he was somebody but we see his sons going around trying to cast out spirits and I want you to see what happens when you have something that is real versus something that is not real verse 15 but one time when they tried it the evil spirit replied I know Jesus and I know Paul but who the heck are you 
Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. How many of you know that's a bad day? <laughs> that's one that you don't, you don't put all the details in your journal about that one. This was a bad day for them. What was happening? They tried doing what Paul was called to do. They weren't called to do that. We don't even know that they were Christians. They probably weren't because they tried using the name of Jesus, but they weren't under his authority. They weren't sanctioned by him. They weren't called by him to do this. So they tried to do what they weren't called to do and they found themselves in this trouble. And I love this. What I love about this is that even the demons in hell, number one, they knew the name of Jesus. The, name, they, the Bible says the demons in hell tremble at the name of Jesus. His name is great, his name is powerful. And not only did they tremble at the name of Jesus, but they recognized who Paul was. I want you to get that for a moment. They recognized who Paul was, not because Paul was so great, but because the name of Jesus and the authority of the name of Jesus was on him. These, Paul's not even there. But because of the impact he's making in that region, even the demonic spirits in that region understood God is with Paul because he bears the name of Jesus. But we don't know who these guys are. So they beat, that, that demonically oppressed man beat the daylights out of those seven kids, probably teenagers. <laughs> probably teenagers and sent them out of the house naked, running, screaming, battered, afraid. Now I want you to see something as well. They didn't have, number one, they didn't have the authority that Paul had, the spiritual authority, they weren't called to that. But this is real and this still happens. I want you to know that. This is real and this still happens. People are still able to be set free from demonic oppression in their life. We're not going to go in and I'm just not going to create some big, weird environment. That's not the goal of this message. But this is real. And there are people who are set free by the power of Jesus' name, even today. Even today. But what I don't want you to do, though this is real, is I don't want you to get caught up in that. Because what happens is people get so infatuated by that and they start focusing on demons and what the devil is doing. And we have to write books on what the devil is doing. Our, our goal is not to care about what the devil is doing. We're not ignorant of it. Our goal is to preach the gospel. Our goal is to focus on Jesus. When we focus on Jesus, guess what? He takes care of that. He takes care of that. There are tons of people, you, we, you find out that there's a supernatural world that is real. And listen to me, it is real. The supernatural world in many cases is more real than the very world that we see day to day. It is, but we, once you discover there's a supernatural, all of a sudden we start getting weird and we start trying to read books by people who are supposed to be experts on this. There, there are no experts in this. We follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and he leads us in what to do. There are no experts, but our focus needs to be on Jesus. 
Because even in moments like this, when people are being set free of, of demonic influence in their life, this is not you versus the devil. That is never a fight that you want to be in. We've seen what that fight looks like. The fight is Jesus in you against the devil, and he wins every time. Every time. As a church, I want our church to be naturally supernatural. Naturally supernatural. Not focusing on all of the weird things that, listen, God does weird things. I'm not saying he doesn't. God does, Jesus healed people by spitting in mud and putting it on their eyes. If I ever tried to do that to you, I'd be in the newspaper. <laughs> but our goal is to keep our eyes on him, not to try to figure out all of the weird stuff that happens around us. I want us to be naturally supernatural people, meaning we believe in the supernatural. We believe God can heal the sick. We believe that. We believe that God can set people free from demonic influences in their life. We believe that God can do supernatural miracles. I believe that. But we want to do that focused on him, not on everything else. So I'm going to keep, keep going. There's, there's a real spiritual battle. And Paul's name was feared and respected in hell. Not because, again, he was such a great man, but because he bore a great name. And he had a great commissioning from his king, who is, still is, Lord of all. Lord of all. He's Lord over the things we see. He's Lord over the things we don't see. He's Lord over the things that we feel comfortable with. He's Lord over the things that we're fearful about. He is still Lord. Verse 17 the story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus, I bet it did, <laughs> to Jews and Greeks alike. Can you imagine if you're sitting at the coffee house just sipping coffee and you see seven naked teenagers run out of the... <laughs> like, what is going on here? All right. Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. The plan of the enemy backfired. The enemy's plan probably to put fear in people's hearts backfired on him because now the name of Jesus is made glorified. Jesus' name was greatly honored. Why? Because people got to see, wait a minute, even the supernatural world is subject to him. Even the people that are, are that things, the works of the enemy are subject to this man named Jesus who is God. And they got to see this. And so the fear of the Lord settled into this community. And that's a powerful thing. We've talked about that in the book of Acts earlier. The fear of God is something that as a church, we don't need to lose. We need the fear of God. Jesus, yes, he loves us. And yes, in many cases, he will draw us into a friendship relationship, but we are never to miss out on the fact that he is God and he is to be feared. It's like your dad, you, if you had a good dad, a good dad, I'm not talking about dysfunctional dads. If you had a good dad, you knew I could go play sports with dad, I can hang out with dad, but if I did something wrong and dad came home, he was to be feared. In the same way, that's how we are to view and, and relate to God. And Jesus' name, as I mentioned before, it holds great authority. And that's why it bothers me so much when even Christians take his name in vain. If you're here and you just haphazardly say things like, Jesus, stop that. Number one is dumb. 
Number two, it's dishonoring the very name that saved you. Add that name, listen to this, think about this for a moment. Add that name, the enemy, the hell, the demons of hell tremble, but yet we'll haphazardly just say it carte blanche like it doesn't mean anything. Stop using his name in vain. His name has great authority. Verse 18, many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. Don't miss this. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and, I love this, and burned them in a public bonfire. The value of the books were several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. There's so much I want to get done, but let me just, I want to touch on this just for a moment. Because people are being born again, they're being saved. They're experiencing the love of God. They're experiencing the power of Jesus. And their reaction to this was to take their old lifestyle and to burn it. Here's my question to you. And really, it's the title of my message. Do you love him more? Do you love him more? More than what? Name it. Do you love him more than the things that brought you wealth? Do you love him more than the things that you hold so dear? Do you love him more? See, these men were caught up in witchcraft and caught up in all of this, this sorcery and all of these things. And once they experienced Jesus, they held a giant bonfire and they threw all of their books in and they burned it. And you talk about an expensive bonfire. The Bible tells us that the fire that those men lit had several millions of dollars worth of books. See, that's when you're, that's when you're moving on. When you're willing to take your past and set it on fire. See, this is who I was, but this is not who I am anymore. I'm willing to throw it. Not only am I willing to put it away, I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to burn it. See, Ephesus was a very dark community. It was a demonic community. I'm going to tell you more about that in a moment. As you can already tell, it's a very dark place to be. And these men are burning this. I love the way I. Howard Marshall, he wrote this. He said this, sooner or later, talking about this very passage, sooner or later, there must come a point when believers realize the need to confess the sinfulness of their practices. If it is possible to go further and remove the cause of the temptations, as in this case, so much the better. See, there comes a point, in other words, what he's saying is there comes a point where you have to go, if I'm really gonna live for him, I'm really gonna live for him. If I'm really going to follow Jesus, then I'm willing not only to put my past aside, but to burn it so I can follow him. And I've seen that. I remember my old youth ministry. There was a moment where they had a freedom type setting for for the teenagers in in the youth ministry I was a part of. And they held a big old bonfires and, and there were kids bringing old pornography magazines and burning them. Putting drugs in there, burning them. Right, putting things that they knew were sinful practices and putting them in the bonfire saying, that's not me anymore. Some of you need to do the very same thing. Some of you need to go home right now and there's some things that you have that you know you've been holding on to that if that in a place has been your God, it's been your idol and you need to go in your backyard, put that barbecue pit up or that burn pit and throw it all in there. Throw it all in there. What are you doing when you're doing that? You're saying, that's not me anymore. I belong to him. 
That's as public as a confession as your water baptism is. I'm letting everybody know that's not me anymore. Repentance means turning away from. And sometimes following Jesus, I want you to know this, following Jesus does cost you something. It does cost you. Salvation is free. Jesus paid it all for your salvation. But if you're going to follow him and live righteously, it's going to cost you something. What is the something that it's going to cost you? Burn it. I love the story of Pastor Bubba McCann. Many of you know and love Pastor Bubba, who was the pastor of our, our Jennings Church, and he recently passed away about two months ago or so. And um, just a funeral that honored him so well, honored the name of Jesus so well. Just a man who gave his life for the cause of the gospel. Literally gave his everyday life to reaching people and loving the community of Jennings. But I, I had Pastor Bubba here about six months ago to speak to our staff. And he did, and he told the story of when he first got born again, Pastor Jacob led him to Jesus as a, as a young man. And he got so excited about Jesus. That same day, he went home to his apartment. He had a roommate there. He goes home to his apartment. And he starts taking down all of the pinups that he had on the, on the walls, right? Started taking this old, this old rock album, some of this old stuff, started breaking it, right? And he's just, he's getting rid of all of this stuff. And his roommate comes home and he's like, Bubba, Bubba, what are you doing? I'm getting rid of this. I'm serving Jesus. He's like, Bubba, some of that's mine. <laughs> he didn't care. He was leaving it behind him because he found something that he loved more. He found something that he loved more. There's no such thing as cultural Christianity. You're not a Christian because you're an American. You're not a Christian because you live in the South. You're not a Christian because you went to catechism or you went to church as a kid. It doesn't matter. Your Christianity is not real unless it's changing you unless you're willing to put some things in the fire, it's not real. It should change you. And listen to me, sometimes that's a slow progressive process. I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not saying you're not a Christian if you're not perfect, but you should be in the process of putting more and more and more stuff in that fire and falling more and more and more in love with him. Verse 21, afterward, Paul felt compelled by the spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, listen to this. I'm going to talk more about this in the next few weeks. I must go on to Rome. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. Now, again, this is not Asia as in the Oriental Asia. This is the area of what we know today as Turkey. And so he's, Paul says, I'm getting ready to leave and I'm going to go to Jerusalem. First, I'm going to go through the area where I've planted churches, Macedonia and Achaia. And then I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And then I have my goal, the ultimate place that I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Rome. Rome at that time, and we're going to talk way more about this in the, in the weeks to come. But to just to whet your appetites a little bit. Rome was the very center of the world at that time. Rome, the Roman Empire, had dominated most of the known world. And here's Paul saying, I want to go right there into the heart of the most important city and most important region in the world. And I want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ there. That was his goal. That was his mission. It was Rome. Let me ask you, what's your Rome? 
What's your mission? What has God put on your heart to accomplish, to do? What are you moving towards doing for him? Paul had a mission and he was dead set on getting to that place. Now, he had many bumps and bruises along the way. As a matter of fact, the way he got there was in chains. He got to Rome eventually, but he got there imprisoned. Sometimes we don't always get to our destination the way we think we're going to. But if God said it, you're going to get there. You're going to get there, but we're going to unpack that more. So he sends Timothy and Erastus ahead of him to the churches he had planted. But then something happens. Something very serious happens. Verse 23, about that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. Now, what was the way? The way is what Christians were called back then. They were called followers of the way. Why were they called followers of the way? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They were called followers of the way because they were essentially saying, we, this is the way to God. We know the way to God. And let me just tell you, we may be called Christians now, but nothing has changed. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. That's it. That is the only way to eternal life. Pastor, you're being pretty dogmatic about that. You're, you're a little, you know, maybe you're a little closed-minded. You can call me all you want, but I'm right. And I would rather be called a little dogmatic now. Doesn't mean we're very, we want people to know Jesus. But, but make no mistake about it, he is the only way. You do not get to God through Buddha. You do not get to God through Muhammad. You do not get to God through philosophy, transcendental meditation. You don't get to God through witchcraft and sorcery. You get to God through Jesus Christ. That's it. He's the only way. He's not a good idea. He's not a source of morality. He's the way to God. It's not Jesus said some good stuff. I'm going to apply some of that. He is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. There's no way in between that. Either everything he said was a lie, or he was absolutely insane or crazy, or he was who he said he was. Lord of all. Lord of all. Verse 24, it began with Demetrius, a silversmith, who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. This is what he's saying. The problem began with this guy named Demetrius. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Ephesus before we close. Ephesus was the headquarter of this, this giant temple to this Greek goddess called Artemis. Some of you may have heard of her name as Diana. And it was Artemis in Greek, it was Diana to the Romans. And Ephesus had this giant temple. They, there were temples of, of Artemis or Diana all over the area, but there was one primary headquarter temple that was in Ephesus. It was in Ephesus and it, this building was, let me read this, make sure I get this right, 377 feet long and 200 feet wide. It was bigger than a football field. And at these giant pillars that reached up a hundred and, I'm sorry, 60 feet high. It was 127 pillars. And these pillars in the very front of this temple were 60 feet high. Look up at the, the lights up there. Way beyond that. 60 feet high. This was a massive, as a matter of fact, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. 
If you look up the, old, the, the ancient seven wonders of the world, the temple of Diana, or temple of Artemis, was in one of those seven wonders of the world. It was massive. And the people in Ephesus, they had the corner on the market. And they would make a lot of money off of this. Now, Diana or, or Artemis was the, supposedly the goddess of hunting. Come on, Cajuns. She was the goddess of hunting and she was the goddess of fertility. So you can only imagine the sick, twisted worship practices that they had. And it was right there in the heart of this community, Ephesus. Now this man, Demetrius, got upset with Paul. Why? Because all of these followers, former followers of Diana started following Jesus. And it started cutting into his business and he didn't like that. And he got upset about that. He was a silversmith. He had a very large business. And what this business was, was they would sell these little replicas of the temple. It's kind of like when you go to, you go places and you get the, the tourist, like little replicas of places that you've been, he would sell those made of silver. And, but the people that would come to visit this temple, they would take them home and buy those. And it wasn't just a, a memory or a souvenir. They would go home and they would worship this fake goddess and their homes with these little replicas. And so this man did not like the fact that here's Paul preaching the gospel and all of these people are getting born again and they're leaving these old religious superstitious practices. They didn't like that at all. Verse 25, this is what he says, Demetrius. He called his workers together um, along with other employees in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentile men, excuse me, gentlemen, you know, sorry. <laughs> gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. He gets right to it. This is heard in our pocketbook. This guy, see, it was one thing for it to cost them something, they're following Jesus. Now it's costing us something and we're not even following Jesus. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes when you follow Jesus, it costs other people something. What am I talking about? Some of you, it's the relationships that you had with people that you used to do wrong with, but now that you're following Jesus, they have to lose a friend. But it's worth it. He's worth it. He's saying, this, this is costing us something. We're pagans, we're idol worshipers. We're not even following Jesus. And this guy is affecting our business. It's worth leaving those old things behind them. I love what Skip Heisig, a pastor who I love and follow, he says this, he says, the most sensitive part of a person's anatomy is their pocketbook. If you wanna mess with somebody, mess with their money. I love God. This gonna cost you some money. Whoa. I don't know about all that. Their real worship was not necessarily of Diana. Their real worship was their money. They worshiped money. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that. Jesus said, you cannot worship mammon, which was the God of money, and God. You have to pick. And it's interesting Jesus could have picked so many other different gods to pick, but he picked that one because he knew that's the one that gets most of us. I love Jesus, but don't touch my money. And that's what they're saying. You can do your little God thing, 
but what you're doing is affecting our money. So he goes on, verse 26, then he tries to get all pious and religious. He says, but as you've seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. It's funny, everybody wants righteousness until it costs something. We all want to see righteousness happen in our region, but we don't want to pay for it. We all want to see people helped and off of drug addictions, but we don't want to pay for it. We all want to see, we want to see our, I'll stop there. But the amazing thing about Paul is Paul was affecting their business. He wasn't, he wasn't holding up a picket sign. He wasn't holding up a protest. He wasn't doing any of that. You know what he was doing? Simply living for Jesus and preaching the gospel. That's all he did. He didn't do all of these radical things that we think sometimes have to be done in order to cause change. He was living for Jesus and preaching the truth. And because of that, it was devastating the work of the enemy. If you want to make a genuine difference in your world, look up here, don't miss this. If you want to make a genuine difference in your world, live for Jesus and preach the gospel. If you want to change the culture around you, live for Jesus and preach the gospel. If you want to see justice in our land, live for Jesus and preach the gospel. That's how you make a difference with your life. Verse 27, of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence in that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshiped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world. He's laying it on thick will be robbed of her great prestige. Verse 28, at their, excuse me, at this their anger boiled and they began shouting, great is Artemis of Ephesus. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. So a riot, giant riot breaks out and they all go to the amphitheater signifying that this is something, they want the government to do something about this. Now, we've, they've excavated this and they found this actual amphitheater. It was massive. It held 25,000 people. So there are tons of people there in the city demanding that the government do something about Paul preaching the gospel. This riot breaks out and they grab two of Paul's companions and they want to get rid of, now I want you to notice something, they didn't grab the local leaders of the church, the people from Ephesus, they grabbed these missionaries. Why? Because they wanted to signify to everybody, we're going we're to stamp this thing out and punish the very people that brought this nonsense to us. So this riot is breaking out and it's chaos and things are going insane. Verse 30, Paul, and I love Paul, Paul wanted to go in. But the believers wouldn't let him. Here's Paul. There's a riot going on. Stuff is going insane. They're trying to kill people. Paul's like, that's where I want to go. I, let me just get to talk to them. But the believers stopped them from going. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering this ample theater. Now, which is really cool, and I won't take much time here so we can keep rolling. But the, the governing officials of this land were friends with Paul. 
Paul had built relationships with the very community leaders of that area. See, it wasn't, it wasn't the, the secular world, it wasn't the government that was originally persecuting the church. It was religious people. It was the Jewish people who started this. And then it was the pagan idol worshipers who did this. The government, the secular world was like, yeah, y'all do whatever you want to do. But then Paul starts influencing them. And let me just say this. What, 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 am, what are you trying to say, Pastor Gabe? This is what I'm trying to say. Some of us love politicians way too much and we hate them way too much. Our job is to pray for them because they too will stand before Jesus one day. They will. So we pray for them. We want God's justice in our land. We do. Sometimes they need mercy the same way that you were extended mercy. So we pray for them. So Paul wants to go this and he won't let him go. Verse 32, inside the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. We, we love a good fight, don't we? The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak. But when the, when the crowd realized that he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it up for about two hours. This is what they were shouting. Great is Artemis of Ephesus. Great is Artemis of Ephesus. It's mass chaos. Jewish people are there wanting to kill Paul. Idol worshipers are there wanting to kill Paul. Pagans, witchcraft people are there trying to kill Paul. And people that just want to see people get burned down stuff were there. All of them were there trying to stop Christianity. Now, what's interesting is this is, this is totally the plan of the devil. This is how the enemy works. He works in confusion. He works in chaos. God is not the author of confusion. He's the God of what? Peace. This is how I know this is the enemy. Paul actually talks about this. And he calls what's happening in this situation. He talks about this in the book of 1 Corinthians. And I want you to see what he says. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 30. He says, and why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? I look death in the face practically every day I live. Do you think I do this? Oh, excuse me, do you think I'd do this if I wasn't convinced of your resurrection and mine as guaranteed by the resurrected Messiah? Listen to this. <clears throat> do you think I was just trying to act heroic when I fought the wild beasts at Ephesus, hoping it wouldn't be the end of me? Paul calls what's happening here the wild beast of Ephesus. What was he saying? I was up against a demonic force there. I was fighting something spiritually in the spirit there. It was the beast of Ephesus. The enemy was at work, but God was breaking through and God was doing something amazing. He calls it that. And that's why I encourage you, listen to me. When we fast and we pray, join in with us because we're not here trying to build a corporation we're not here trying to build an, organ, an, an organization in our community that does good works. No, no, no. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. This is spiritual warfare, and the kingdom of God is advancing and moving forward. So we need your prayers. 
We need you to pray. And even in your own life, fasting and praying is setting the world, setting everything else aside and saying, God, I'm going to focus on you. Some of you are going to fast social media. Good. Instead of jumping on social media, spend time with God. Some of you are fasting food. Listen, instead of eating, don't just not eat. That's called starving. That's not fasting. Instead of eating, go in your room and pray. On your lunch break, go in your car and seek the face of God. Why? We are, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. And we're advancing God's kingdom. And Paul knew that. This is how this ends. Verse 35. At last the mayor was able to quiet down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges. And if there are complaints about any other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I'm afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government since there is no cause for all of this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. Then we dismiss them and they disperse. Excuse me, he dismissed them and they disperse. In other words, he comes in and he says, this is crazy and if y'all don't stop, we're gonna be in trouble with the Roman government. And none of them wanted that because that was not a nice government that would come in and speak peaceably. They would kill people and they would dominate that region and they would demand peace. That's what would happen. And so he sends this crowd away. And the church continues in Ephesus. Isn't it amazing? God can take even your enemies and use them to work on your behalf. This man was a follower of Artemis, this mayor. He spoke like a follower of Artemis. But yet he ended this. And God used the fear of the Roman government to stop this attack on his church. God has a way of doing things that we don't always understand. Now, I end with this. You would think this is the end of the church. This is the end of Ephesus, right? We don't hear, we're not going to hear any more about Ephesus, right? Paul moves on like he just said he was going to go to Macedonia and then go to Jerusalem and then go to Rome. It's not the end of what we hear of Ephesus. Because Paul leaves, he doesn't come back to Ephesus. He meets with the leaders of Ephesus in the next chapter, verse 20. I mean, excuse me, chapter 20. But then he puts a young man in charge of the church of Ephesus, which some people have said that this church grew to 40,000, 50,000, 6,000. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it was a massive church. And he put a young man in charge of that church by the name of Timothy. And this man, Timothy, we've talked about in the past, this is who he wrote the book of First and Second Timothy to while he was leading the church in Ephesus. He also wrote a book himself to the church in Ephesus that we call the book of Ephesians. So we hear about Ephesus again in the Bible. But then the last time we hear about Ephesus, we hear about it from Jesus himself. Because in the book of Revelation, Jesus mentions the book, the church in Ephesus that Paul planted. And it's something that I want you to see and I want you to learn. Because again, the title of this message was Loving Him More. This church was birthed with people burning their, their old life to follow Jesus. 
They had such a fire and such a zeal for Jesus. But when Jesus addresses this church in Ephesus, this is what he says. Revelation chapter two, verse one. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've, excuse me, you've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You've patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. In other words, I'll remove the church. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitan, the Nicolaitans, just as I do, which I won't get into that, but that was basically a religious, a tolerant group of people who would say a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of the Greek mythology. Let's mix it all together in this synchronistic, we'll put it all together. Jesus said, I hate that kind of tolerance. That's not the tolerance I want. I want tolerance with truth. Verse seven, anyone who hears, who has, excuse me, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. What is Jesus saying? When you first started, you were burning stuff. You were following me because you loved me. But somewhere along the line, you got religious. And yeah, you did good stuff. Yeah, you didn't like evil people, but you stopped loving me. Your hearts have grown cold. You stopped loving people. I'm going to ask you this question. Do you love him more? Because fast forward, here we are thousands of 2,000 years later. The percentage of Christians in Ephesus or the region of Turkey today is 0.03. There are very, very little Christians at all in that entire region. Their lampstand has been removed. They started with zeal, they started with passion, they started with love for God, and it ended like this. Church, don't let that be your story. Love him more. Love him even when it costs you something. Love him even when you're misunderstood. Love him even when you have to leave old relationships. Love him even when it affects the very job that you have. Love him even when it causes you to go through tough times. Love him because I promise you, he is worth it. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your people. Thank you for your church. God, I pray that it would never be said of us that we've lost our first love. Help us to love you more. Help us to love you like we did with that zealous passion when we first got saved. There's people in this room, God, who we need to repent because we don't love you like we used to love you. We don't love people like we used to love people. God, convict us of that.
even during this week of prayer and fasting, Lord, deal with that in the lives of the very people in this room. For those who are on the cusp of making the initial changes, making the change at all, God, I pray they would go home and they would burn their past. I pray some of them would literally have a fire burning things that they know aren't good for them. Addictions in their lives, things from their past. But I pray in all of that, simply God, help us to love you with every ounce of our being. Help us to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. We thank you for what's been modeled for us in the word. Now with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've never begun that process of learning to love him. I'm not saved, I'm not born again. I've got good news for you. Today can be the day that changes everything in your life. Because Jesus himself is standing at the door knocking, offering you the opportunity to have eternal life. Not just eternal life one day when you die, but right here. Eternal life begins here on earth when you're brought into his kingdom and you become his follower. Pastor, how do I do that? Jesus once told a religious man this, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. And that process is very simple. It's as simple as ABC. A, you admit. Admit what? That you're a sinner, that you're far away from him. You're just honest. You put the pretense aside and you get real with God and say, the sin in me and I don't want there to be. Forgive me of it. B, you believe that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And see, you confess that Jesus is now the Lord of your life. Not just my Savior, but my Lord, and I'm going to follow him. So that's you with no one looking around. I want this to be your moment with God. If you say, Pastor, I want to be born again. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be right with him. Will you pray for me? On the count of three, I'm asking you to lift up your hand. I want to acknowledge who I'm praying with. And then all of us are going to pray this prayer out loud together. And God is going to save you and meet you right where you're at. One, two, three. With nobody looking around, lift them up. Lift it up high. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. I see your hands back there. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. I see your hand. You can put them down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud. This is our prayer. Surrender to God. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on this earth and a relationship with the Father. So I turn from my sin. I repent of my sin and I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, come on. Can we celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer to be born again?